This interview is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. In Practice is an independent publisher and all opinions expressed by guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of In Practice. Mike, can you just share a bit of context on the original founding story of SDI? Yeah, SDI, or Scientific Digital Imaging, as it was then, was founded in 2008. It had two subsidiaries underneath it, Attic Cameras and uh, Synoptics. Uh, it went to the market in December 2008. The intention was not to raise any money, but just use the uh, AIM market as a vehicle to do m and That was prior to me joining. But, of course, things went wrong. Uh, after flotation, i.e. Uh, they put forecasts in the marketplace we're never going to achieve. They didn't have a line, pipeline of uh, companies to buy. So, of course, uh, to be on the stock market, it costs you a minimum of probably £300,000 a year. That is sort of uh, broker fees, uh, NEDs, etc., etc. So, therefore, uh, as I said before, uh, it wasn't achieving forecasts. So, what happens when you do... Don't achieve forecast, you do profits warnings, so the share price dropped. It floated at 12.5 pence at £5 million market cap and dropped to 2.5 to 3 million. And that's when I joined after uh, doing two, oh no, prior to that, prior to them to do two profits warnings. And that's when I was the finance director. And then, then uh, the CEO uh, decided to retire, and then I took on the position of interim CEO, and uh, I'm still CEO. Uh, there was a stage for six years I was the only executive director uh, and it was really involved in a turnaround and then then in 2014 we went back to the mission statement of M&A and that's when we acquired our first business in February 2014 at Opus Insurance so that's really a quick background of uh, where we're at and the original management team founder they're not around anymore it's, so the chairman is no well that was the CEO the, the chairman left Ken Ford took, was uh, a non-exec director at then. He took on the chairmanship role. So Ken and I have worked together for about sort of 10 or 11 years and growing it. So today we've bought 15 businesses, either through uh, bank debt, cash, uh, and uh, share placing. So it's a mixture of all three. So the original management had the right idea, but execution... Execution was poor. What did you learn about that period in terms of why the execution struggled then? Uh, nothing really, um, to tell you the truth. Um, I think it was uh, really... I only joined the business to uh, to save me marriage. I came back from Newcastle to Cambridge. Uh, that failed. So therefore, you know, I like challenges. So for me, it was sort of two, three years of uh, turning the business around. So it was sort of taking pay cuts and... Uh, just trying to survive. You know, a lot of people like to say, well, why haven't you, uh, why don't you own more shares in the business? Well, at the time, you know, it was just survival. You know, little did we know it was going to go from a two and a half million market cap to a 170 million market cap business. You know, with hindsight, wonderful thing. I could have been very rich, but it doesn't happen like that. But I still enjoy my job. How do you think about owning shares personally? I'm not bothered. I'm not bothered. I think that's a strange thing my chairman actually says. I'm a strange beast. It doesn't really matter. I'm not like, overly concerned with what salary I earn or how much I am. My job is, I know it, it, it may be a, a bit farcical to say that, is to create value added for shareholders. You know, at the end of the day, that's my job. I think a lot of CEOs don't think like that. They think it's their business. It's not. It's their business. So if I can't use the cash generated wisely, I have to give it back to the shareholders in the way of dividends or 
whatever. It's it's not my my business. I own a, a small percentage of it, but at the end of the day, I report to them. That's my job in life. Do you not want to own more? I'm not that bothered. You know, money money personally doesn't. Uh, I'm not money money orientated. I uh, ride horses, other people's horses, play tennis, um, and enjoy what I do. I don't drive fast cars, so well, I just like working. You know, at the end of the day. And trying to create value added. It may be a bit corny saying that, but that's what I've been doing for the last set of 10 years. Horses are pretty expensive. <laughs> uh, not, uh, well, I ride X race horses in a new market. So, uh, mine. I haven't got time to look at, look after one. Well, and so if money doesn't motivate you, what really does motivate you, apart from tennis and horses? No, working, yeah. yeah at the end of the day, yeah, we've actually created me and all the subsidiary, uh, all the management teams have created you know, a wonderful business. You know, that's why I'm here today, you know, because people are interested in, in what we've created. You know, at the end of the day, there are a couple of models we looked at. One was Helmer in the early days. Uh, and then there was uh, judges. And I know David Sickrell you know, reads me well. You know, we, we talk, have a cup of tea occasionally. Um, and it's just fun. I like working. I've been involved in turnarounds and businesses as a finance director for many years. You know, this is the first role I've had as a CEO. Um, and uh, I'm enjoying it. I think it's really good. Yeah, so I, there's two roles for me in this. Is one is M&A, uh, and the other one is operational. So I spend four days a week going around all the subsidiaries. So we have 13 business units uh, in the UK, and then they've got some offshoots, one in Scotland, and then we've got one in Lisbon, where I'm at today, and then we've got one in the US. And I go around all of them. Well, just on this point of your motivation, because I think it's particularly interesting given you are pretty much, you know, you're allocating all the capital, you're driving around to see the businesses, buying, buying new businesses, and it's obviously a different ownership structure. So if you look at Constellation Software or Judges even, for example, they're both founder-led, you know, how do you think about that where you're obviously slightly different, where you're, you're still motivated, but you don't actually own equity as a... Sh- you know, obviously you own a bit of equity, but not as much as a founder-led business of you know, this type. Well, I think they're the same as me. You know, I know David, you know, at the end of the day. He's not motivated by money for himself personally. He's not that bothered. Um, he, he still likes doing deals. You know, he's in his 70s, still likes doing deals. The same as a guy from Consolation at the end of the day. You know, you look at these buyers, look at Warren Buffett. He still lives in the same bloody house he's been living in for years. You know, at the end of the day, and, and he's uh, uh, very, very rich, uh, you know. Um, so I don't think that's the issue. I don't. I, I think people are not uh, who do an amnesty, especially me and probably David and uh, the guy for Consolation, are not personally uh, motivated by money for themselves. Personally, it's just doing deals, doing deals, and creating value for shareholders. That's it. I don't think it's for your own personal wealth. I don't think any of these guys think like that. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing this job. That's my view. But do you think the business? Is your do you own, do you think like you're an owner of the business or you think you're the shareholders really own it? Yeah, shareholders right own it. I just had a, I've just been on a call with uh, another uh, institutional investor today, and they said my sort of train of thought is different from anybody, from a lot of CEOs. I thought, well, that's a bit strange, but at the end of the day, I report to the shareholders. It's their business, so my job is, as I said to you right at the start, is to create value for the shareholders. That's my job in life. Well, and I think a lot of people that. The, uh, people that look at judges or any founder-led business, they they like the fact that they're potentially sitting beside the founder who also is an owner. Whereas you're saying you actually act like you tr- you you serve the owners. You don't have to be an owner to serve the owners. That's what you're saying. You're no, not- I don't at all. 
no, no, not at all. Yeah, that's my job. You know, you get all, all these, our um, uh, 13 business units, you know, at the end of the day, they don't own the business units. SDI own them and in turn the shareholders. But they create value. And uh, I think everyone can understand that. You know, they're paid handsomely, they get bonuses, they get share options. You know, same as me. You, know, you don't have to be uh, sort of greedy. And a lot of CEOs in public companies are greedy to say, uh, I want a massive salary and uh, big tips. But at the end of the day, the cash is a cash burn business. So why do that? You know, at the end of the day, when it, uh, times are hard here, you know, I took a pay cut. So when uh, the CFO, my first CFO joined John, he his salary, he wanted more money than I was earning. So it's a bit of a wake-up call. Same as the CFO now. You know, it's a bit of a wake-up call, and I, that's why I'm not that bothered about sort of salaries. It doesn't really worry me. Strange, really. So your, your compensation is, is obviously salary, plus you get LTIPs and share options over time based on, and then your bonus is based on, like the I think it's total share return. and Yeah, it is. We only introduced the bonus scheme about oh, three or four years ago for the, for the subs. Um, and uh, we have to put a structure in place for the bonus scheme. It's currently a finger in the wind for me, uh, for the subsidiaries, about how they do. It has to be self-funded out of uh, budget. And then it's up to the board whether they want to pay me a bonus or not. And with a bonus for the last couple of years, I've actually buying my shares out. So I haven't been taking it and spending it. I've actually been buying my options out. So the likes of uh, shareholders can actually see I've been buying shares in the, in the marketplace or buying my options out. Trying to create wealth. Yeah. And you sold it, you sold a chunk, I think, last, last year or? That was it. Yeah. The only reason I actually did that, I'll just tell you for a fact. And that is, um, I, I, I wasn't that bothered about it is uh, Dance Bank wanted to get in and wanted 5% stake. Nobody wants to sell the shares. Uh, there's no liquidity. So my chairman and also FinCap actually said, can you actually sell down? And I did do. You know, what I've done with the money is just it's just sitting there, so I'm not that bothered about it. But uh, they, uh, they thought it was worthwhile Dance Bank getting in, and I was the only one who, uh, who had enough shares uh, to sell. So uh, And that was the reason why. It's great, but Mike, you are... You, you do think in a unique way, from, just from my experience speaking to people that are either running these businesses, you know, that they either want to own more and more shares to, you know, to, to increase their stake, or they care about being paid cash and, and then high bonuses. Right? Well, I'm not that bothered. Strange really, isn't it? Strange. I, I, they actually said I'm a sort of strange beast on it, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, um, I, I came to sort of not a poor background, but a reasonably poor background, reasonably uh, poor background, did go to university. And uh, so you start with nothing, you end with nothing, you know, at the end of the day. I just enjoy my job. You know, if somebody said, oh, uh, my CFA comes along saying I'm better than you, well, bye-bye, I go. Yeah, I don't mind. I'll do something else. What would you do if you left? I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. Somebody just asked me that today. I haven't got a bloody clue. My wife's business is growing. She's in IT, so uh, I'm trying to help her out on that at the moment. But I don't know. I like doing it. I'm a, from an Irish and background. I'll do houses up. I'll do her house up, that sort of thing. What motivates you? Like, you, know, you wake up in the morning, you know, you're driving around the UK. You probably spend, what, three, four days out of the office in the car, right? Well, what motivates you to do that? I like talking to people at the end of the day. We've got 450 staff now. Everybody's got my mobile number. Everybody's got my email address. Uh, I was actually saying to this uh, someone the other day, I speak to anybody, to tell you the truth. How I'm speaking at the moment is the same as an institutional investor. So I wear a pair of jeans, T-shirt, uh, shirt or 
t-shirt, depending on the weather, and uh, I'll speak to anybody. Whether it's a semi-skilled labour or a director's board meeting, it's the same. Uh, my, uh, the way I talk doesn't change at all. Yeah, if I don't actually go out to a sub within six weeks, somebody on the shop floors will send me a WhatsApp or something saying I haven't seen you, Mike, for a while. So I can see, speak to those people. Could be on about Netflix, football, whatever. We just talk, uh, and that's how I work. You know, so a, lot, a lot of people have made it up to uh, the top of the tree, and they'll only speak to one or two levels below. Well, for me, it's not. I'll drive up there and I'll talk to anybody. And I think that's what um, I enjoy most, really, to tell you the truth. And also on the M&A side, you know, I think when the best m and I did was at Chell uh, in December 2019. The, the business was for sale, so the employees knew about it. So uh, they had no way to put me, so they put me in the uh, in the canteen. So by the end of my due diligence process, I knew everybody in that building. So now you know, they expect to see me, and I was there, when was I there? I was there Monday. Uh, I just go around the site, just speaking to people. You know, that's what it's all about at the end of the day. You know, they're the ones that create value. We do in a way because we actually invest in those businesses. But on a day-to-day business, they, they run it. And they actually want to know what I'm doing. Mike, is there a risk that you might live? Well, there's always a risk, isn't there? there there's always a risk. But if you, if you have a look at uh, the businesses, all these businesses are run autonomously. So standalone units. So, so at the end of the day, if you look at uh, any of these 13 units, they've all got uh, their own uh, accounting systems. They've all got their own management structure. Myself and uh, Amy, the new CFO, are directors, but we don't get involved in that side of day-to-day business. We at head office will consolidate the accounts, but they, they've actually got their own sort of uh, operating systems. We have no centralised accounting systems. So if I got run over a bus, they didn't run. I think the main thing is m So at the end of the day, Amy's from big 250 company. He's been involved doing Ultra Electronics, which is an M&A company. And um, so I'm sure you know somebody could take it on. I think for me, me where um, it may be a bit sort of complicated or draining for me is as we quite more businesses, I'm out on the road sort of three or four days a week, you know, then I won't be able to handle it. So then I'll probably need a, a, another operational person if uh, the CFO or financial controller doesn't want to carry out that sort of that role with me. It may be a different role, but uh, that's where I think we'll probably need another resource just to help me out on that. Yeah, just like... Um, uh, judges did with David. He bought a Mark ha- uh, Levan from Helmer. So he's out on the road. So David still does the deals, uh, still likes doing the deals, but he said he can't do it anymore. David was exactly the same as me. We had exactly the same same model, and that's what we talked about. But at the end of the day, he just said, look, I'm in my 70s, I can't do this drive around the country anymore. And I do. So I just have hire a car, cheap hire car, and just drive around. And I can't imagine you're driving a Ferrari around to these these subsidiaries. <laughs> I drive I drive a pickup truck. Yeah, I can imagine you're there. <laughs> I drive an L200 Barbarian, but at 45p a mile, I'll lose money on it. At, uh, especially with diesel, at nearly well, it's just under sort of uh, just under two pound a, ga- a, a liter now. So it, we worked out it's not efficient for me to have a uh, a company car, uh, electric cars. They're too bloody expensive and I'm tight um, because I need one with a big battery because I'm doing over 200 miles around trips, two or 300 miles. So the cheapest thing to do is to hire a car at 45 or 50 quid a day, a little petrol car, and it just gets me around. I'm, I'm not into cars anyway, so it doesn't bother me. Well, And, and so if you found a, a Mark from Halmer, for example, that type of person, 
Could you see yourself doing this like David into into your 70s? I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. Really? I really haven't thought about it. I suppose so. so like David and I actually spoke about this uh, sort of a, couple of, a couple of months ago. You know, he said, what do you do? Because a lot of people retire and then just drop dead because they do nothing. You, know, you have to do something. There's only so many days you can do a bit of gardening or play tennis or ride horses. You, know, you have to do something in life. So, uh, you know, I've actually, as David actually said, he's got a lot of expertise over the years. So why not still bring that to the party? You know, Ken Ford, uh, my chairman, is in the 70s. He'll do it for another f- few more years. But, you know, NEDs have got a lot of expertise. So uh, so why not still carry on? I could never be an NED, by the way. No strike me as well. <laughs> but, and so, Mike, how much is Ken involved in M&A with you? He... Uh, it used to be quite a bit in the early days because I was the only executive director, so him and I used to work up, uh, work on that quite a lot. But nowadays, uh, he'll every deal we do uh, in the early stages, he'll come and kick the tyres. So he'll come out to the site, speak to the founders. You know, we've never had disagreements yet on all the deals we've done. We've done fifteen deals. So, uh, but now we've actually John was recruited sort of just over four years ago, and that's when he handed the baton over to John. So John and I do the deals but he still gets involved in them. Now, John's left as of yesterday. Amy will do the deals. And, and what do you, with the CFO, what do you need them just, what they do the, the financial DD and... No, I do it all. I'm an accountant by training. Uh, so I'll do the, the DD. Um, I think Amy will become more involved than, uh, than what John was uh, involved in it. What we've actually done is we, when we do uh, an acquisition, we buy it a uh, multiple of PBT, Plus net assets, uh, use it between them four and six. It could be higher, it could be lower, but that's that's roughly the average over the last sort of fifteen deals. And um, and then we buy the net assets. Net assets are usually thirty days after we sign the SPA because you need to get a balance sheet together. Uh, I used to do that, but now I've handed it over to uh, my two accountants, so they'll tick the boxes and then we write a check out for the net assets. And with that revenue recognition, do you do you only recognise that from the date the acquisition closes in? Or is it, it's not before that 30 days when you get the balance sheet together? No, we do. As soon as it's on the SBA, it's our business. So all this is is, is uh, uh, trying to get together a balance sheet because what we actually do like is a, is a closing balance sheet and it takes time for the accountants. Um, they're never audited. Out of the 15 businesses we've acquired, we've only uh, bought one business, which has had all audited accounts, and that was LTE, a recent one. All the rest have been unaudited. All done by chartered accountants or... Uh, so they're, they're pretty clean. Uh, you find a lot of the businesses. There's when we actually do a deal, uh, it's very easy to uh, agree a, a goodwill figure. We never actually piss about with it. We never me- mess around with the multiple. We'll either walk away or uh, or, or everybody accept it. The only error I should just say up front to the founders is the balance sheet. You know, when you actually look at the balance sheet, if they're in audited accounts, there's going to be some crap on it, i.e., obsolete stock debtors over 90 days uh, they're not being paid I said we have to make provisions on that which they've never done before so that's a bit of an eye opener for them but if you can be fully open with people from the outset you know everybody's happy with it what do you think's the risk I mean I'm just I've studied many different roll ups and acquired acquisitions models in the past and a lot of obviously the accounting can get quite tricky when you're acquiring and merging those are different consolidated accounts what do you think is the biggest risk in, in missing anything on in the accounts or the, or the accounting for these types of models? 
I don't think it, it's the accounting side. I think it's the trading side, really. Uh, accounting side, we're buying businesses which have been around for 15 or 20 years. You know, uh, so, so there's a lot of history behind it and there's a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of accounts. These guys run lean, mean businesses. So therefore, you know, taking costs out is very difficult. Uh, people think you can do it, but you can't because the founders, all they want to do is, is generate as much profit, cash, and as little tax as possible. And they've been doing this for years. What we actually do is when we acquire businesses is to say, okay, you're making half a million or a million pound a year. And we get it up to one million and one and a half million. So we actually say we want to invest in that. So they're happy making that return. But we want to take the next fixed tech cost approach and invest in those businesses, which we did do with Centac. And more recently, it's grass schools where we were completely refurbishing and refitting the, the unit out. So, uh, so that seems to work for us. Take a step back and look at the, the, the life sciences or scientific instrumentation business or industry as a whole. Why did SDI move? Seems like they've moved from imaging more into sensors and controls. Well, I'll be honest with you. So when I joined as the finance director, it was uh, my background is M&A, and uh, they said we floated the business on AIM, uh, and we want to look at digital imaging, acquiring digital imaging businesses. So in my sort of first three to six months, uh, roughly about the same time as the profits warning, um, I found out there's bugger all in digital imaging, uh, really. Um, so then after uh, the CEO left and the chairman, Ken and I just looked at it and said, why don't we just open it up and buy anything? Because at the end of the day, early for us, early days, it's financial engineering. We're buying at four to six, we're at 10 or 15 or everything. So of course, it's multiples. Um, so we just bought uh, anything which has got a science technology based, but more importantly, we're in, involved in manufacturing as well. Yeah, so that's when you can determine, you have more control over your margins. Uh, and then we recruited uh, David Tilson, a very smart accountant, and he said about organic growth. So now, you know, people, as you grow, people are saying, okay, you've, uh, you're doing financial engineering, uh, but what about, where's the organic growth? Where are you investing? And that's what we do. So as we go through the due diligence process, we have to say, where can we create value added on these businesses? And that's all part of the due diligence process. Um, early days, it wasn't. You know? But when you're actually got a market cap of two, three, four million pounds and you're growing it, you know, who gives, who gives a shit really, you know, to tell you the truth? But as you grow and you become in the marketplace, I'm speaking to the likes of you and lots of investors. You're right, just saying about organic growth. Are there any unit economical differences between sensors and controls and imaging in terms of recurring revenue or the visibility of revenue? I'm going to be honest with you, because I'm honest with everybody on that. I don't actually look at digital imaging and sensors and controls anyway. My, my job is to actually look at all 13 businesses. So when I look at the businesses, I look at them individually. The reason that uh, that split was, was made, because we have to share more and more information in the annual reports. You know, we actually operate uh, a gross margins, pretty gross, uh, high margins. You know, have a look at it. You know, we're at the over 60% gross margin on material costs. So it's quite high. But, you know, we, we don't, I don't want to show all the information about subsidiaries to, uh, uh, in the marketplace. Um, so, so that's why it was. But, um, on repeat business wise, uh, let's have a look and think about it. Uh, if you, let's just go through the, the, the subs, it may be easier that way. But uh, if you have a look at Agit cameras, that's ca capital expenditure. Synoptics is capital expenditure. Then you look at graphicals, that's re repeat business. What we're doing is chemical etching. We're uh, um, etching onto, um, let's say, like a microscope slide or something like that. 
So you're you're doing a chemical etching onto a substrate using sulfuric acid and uh, cyanide, those sort of tanks, based in Tunbridge. And then you go through the sensor controls, uh, Astel's control systems. If you look at them, they make uh, dosing equipment. 50% of their revenue used to be service, so it's quite high. And also selling sensors within that. Sentec sensors, that's repeat business, we're making sensors. Uh, then you look at LTE, if you look at uh, LTE, where it's capital equipment, we'll do servicing. Safe Labs is capital equipment, we do servicing. Monmouth is capital equipment, we do servicing. So you go through it, it's a mixture, uh, really. Uh, a lot of it is capital equipment, but what we're trying to do is uh, ATC, again, capital equipment, but servicing. John mentioned in the last earnings, like 35, 40% is recurring roughly. That, that includes OEM business, I think. Yeah, uh, and that is uh, repeat business, and that includes servicing. So we actually say, you know, consumables uh, and servicing combined is about 35%, which is good for us. You know, in the early days when I first started, it was nothing. Right. Well, and do you feel like you have decent visibility on future revenue? Uh, it all depends on what business. I mean, as a group, I mean, all of the, like, overall. Well, we don't look at it as a group, to tell you the truth. We actually look at it as individual businesses. You have to, because we're, we're not across one sector. We're across so many different sectors in the marketplace. So what AMI will actually do is to try to put, we have rolling forecasts in place, but uh, in a lot of businesses, you're only getting probably two, three months visibility. You know, we get long-term contracts, as you well know, with the, uh, with the Chinese camera company. We have uh, very very limited vi uh, 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 visibility. I think one which has got long-term visibility is uh, Centec with their sensors, which is consumable, so we can actually lock into uh, sort of long-term order books for these guys. But a lot of it is actually short-term. We have prospects and probabilities out there, but uh, with capital equipment, it, you know, it's limited visit limited visibility. But the businesses, the 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 uh, managers of other businesses know these businesses. I've been involved with it for ten years. And these are pretty good. They, they understand it, uh, the businesses, and uh, and uh, when they put their forecasts out the, out there, it's it's pretty it, it's pretty good. They they can actually achieve it or near to achieve it. And if they don't, we we know quite quickly why they're not achieving uh, these uh, these businesses. I think the main thing for us is it's not. No, I don't think many of our businesses are really seasonal. Autumn's always a, August is usually a bad month because uh, there's shutdowns for holidays, etc. But ours is is pretty flat. In the way of uh, in the way of businesses uh, of forecasting. Well, Mike, how do you understand the technology of you know such niche manufacturing companies you're acquiring? I don't. You have to go to the founders, but also you know we've got you've got a lot of expertise in the group. You know, I'm an accountant. I've done a lot of deals. Uh, you understand what they're trying to achieve, but also more importantly, if you want the expertise, you put in somebody from one of the subsidiaries. A good example is Peter Astles. He's an engineer by training. So he'll come out uh, with me and just kick the tyres. To say, you know, he probably doesn't know the intricacies of the business, but he understands the engineering behind it. So you know, over the years, we've we've brought a lot of uh, expertise into that business. So you know, I can pull in other people into the businesses. But but no one knows it like the founder, right? That's and that's that's true. But a lot of the founders want to stay on with the business. Uh, to tell you the truth, they want to make sure that the business survives for their staff. So they're going to walk away with their millions. They don't really want to walk away into the sunset. They still want to continue with the business. Uh, but uh, at the end of the day, they'll take a, a few shares, not a lot of shares, but they want to make sure, you know, it's it still survives and it still grows. And that's what they want to do with the business. You know, at the end of the day, they want us to invest in that business. And for you personally, when you're doing this, do you, 
like you're not an engineer, you know, you're I'm an accountant. Exactly. It's never it's gonna be impossible for us for you to really deeply understand these niche areas. Like, do you even need to look at that? Do you just have to look at like historical financials, the organic growth? No, no, we have to know. Uh, we have to know what we're buying, roughly. But you get it wrong, you know, at the end of the day. But then you have to find out, you know, we're buying businesses and uh, a lot of businesses. And sometimes you actually, uh, through the DDA process, you find out it's wrong. I'll tell you a good example, which I've said to, to many people, and that was with Thermal Exchange, we bought Thermal Exchange, we did all the due diligence on Thermal Exchange, chiller business, um, looked at the product portfolio of products, all looked very nice, uh, signed the SPA, and then we bought the business, then we looked at uh, how they sold their products. So the sales director used to go out and see a customer with a blank sheet of paper and said, what do you want? So therefore, all their business, all their products are ad hoc products, which causes a bit of a problem for, for Robert, who's the C, uh, is the MD of ATC and Thermal Exchange and our R&D people because what we had to do was look at all these hundreds of adult products and put them into, into categories. It took us some while, but uh, you know that's the one which uh, stood out for a while. It was just a short-term issue. But you have to have a certain amount of belief in the business you were buying. You know, get underneath it. And I think that's where whereby it's good to actually do the DD yourself. You know, The classic case to get it wrong is uh, is HP on autonomy, um, whereby consultants bought the business on behalf of HP. They found out it wasn't what it was. You know, there's a certain amount of trust because at the end of the day, these guys are still going to remain with the business. What what percentage of founders? You know, I think you bought 15, 15, 16 maybe companies. What what percentage of the founders are still there? Oh, fifteen. Let's say seventy percent. If you have a look at it, let's go with the ones which are, uh, are retired. So uh, Firestream, that was just a four-person operation in Loughborough. We knew they wanted to run away into the sunset. So we integrate that into uh, Synoptics and it's done very well. Uh, Opus Cameras was our first one we did in February 2014. Uh, that was a camera business. Uh, and he actually did uh, in, uh, in a shed in, in his uh, garden. Very sophisticated, very nice shed. Uh, but we knew he was going to run away. So we actually integrated that into Attic Cameras, QSI. Similar sort of thing. Uh, that was a, a business base in Mississippi. It was closing down, so we bought that. Or we bought the assets of that, integrated that. Thermal Exchange, we knew he wanted to retire from the outset, so we integrated that into ACC. The only one which was a surprise was Monmouth with David Pomeroy. We thought he'd stay on, but he decided uh, through personal circumstances he wanted to retire. So we just found a very good, well, an excellent CEO uh, in the way of Alan Holcomb. And those guys uh, might that stay on. How do you incentivize them? Salary options. They get an arm's length salary. They get a bonus, but they don't. It is incentivized. They still want to work. Um, to tell you the truth, yeah, you know, there will come a time. You know, like uh, Ken Petrie uh, is the founder of uh, Sentex Census. He, he works sort of two or three days a week. You know, what we have to do uh, when we do due diligence is find out that succession planning is in place. You know, if you actually buy a business and the guys and all the founders say, well, we're all going to buy boats and stand in the med and there's no succession plan. We have to walk away from it to say, look, there's only three of us in head office and we know nothing about this business. So a lot of them stay on. And also, you know, if they are going to retire in three, four or five years time, we have to make sure that there's somebody to take the helm. Hassles was the same thing. Peter's still around for a couple of days a week, but Hal now runs it. So we knew that was going to take place. So we have to make sure that there are bodies taking over. What's the most difficult thing about succession planning? Oh, I don't think there is anything. I think you have to be honest. I think the founders have to be honest with us. 
saying that they are um, uh, they're going to retire. I think David was the the one which is a a bit of a problem, but we made sure there was a crossover between him and, and somebody else coming on board. I don't think there is a problem. I think it's just being honest. You know, right the way through the diligence process, there has to be honesty by the buyer and the seller throughout the process. Because at the end of the day, they want their staff to have continuation of employment. The staff, senior staff, are motivated with share options, so they want they want to make sure that the business does well. Uh, uh, because they're motivated by uh, by capital gains. Uh, that's in, one, in SDI, they get the, the, the in, in SDI. Staff. Yeah, they get share options in SDI. So as soon as we acquire businesses, what we actually do is go through to the founders and say, who are your key staff? We need to throw options at. And that's what we do. I want to talk more about specifically DD and acquisition in a moment, but how do you compare SDI and you know, judges buying niche manufacturing businesses to a company like Constellation Software that are rolling up vertical market software companies? Completely different business. You know, I think this is a question I get many times. Constellation, Constellation have bought probably 150 businesses, but it's software. You know, what you're actually doing is getting uh, an intangible asset and you can integrate it anywhere. David and I are buying manufacturing sites. You know, we buy raw materials and make them into widgets, piece of uh, tangible assets. Yeah, that's the difference you know, for, for us. You know, buying manufacturing sites, we're buying bricks and mortar. These guys are not, they're buying a, an intangible asset and they can incorporate it into any business anywhere in the, in the, in the world. We can't do that. They can merge it easier. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Tamara is exactly the same as us. How do you compare SDI to Tamara? Tamara was the first business I looked at, to tell you the truth, when I actually joined it, because my background is broadcasting. Um, so um, you look at it, Hamel started exactly the same as us, same as David in the 1980s. So it uh, started the same as us. You know, I came along and it was like going into a sweet shop. I said, uh, I'll have that, that and that. And they just get buying these businesses. Uh, uh, multiples. Uh, we use city money. We use a bit of cash, a bit of debt. Um, and then what they did is start getting bigger and bigger, buying bigger businesses. Then they started putting divisions. And then they put managers and CEOs over the divisions. Uh, and you know that's the structure. You know I'm sure we'll do, and probably Dave, and David will do it as you grow the businesses. But what you don't want to do is to actually uh, put a structure in place at head office, which I've seen many times, uh, and to say now we're going to buy the businesses. It, it kills it. You know, these businesses run autonomously. Uh, we had a um, COVID, we bought three businesses, but we tried to bring the business together through strategy days. Through COVID, we couldn't do that. So as soon as COVID finished, hopefully it's finished, uh, September, we had a meet and greet. I organised in Cambridge, called everybody around the table for dinner. All it was, tin and drinks overnight, and then bugger off the following day. No strategy or nothing, no agenda. And after that, I sent an email to all the... Uh, uh, the um, subsidiary uh, managers to say, what do you expect from head office? And they said, what you've got at the moment. And what we actually do is we consolidate the management accounts. We do operational reports. All those operational reports we provide to the board that the board may are sent out to all the subsidiaries. So it's a flat structure. They receive the same information as the board. Uh, and uh, they, we do group insurance. We invest in the businesses at head office level. Uh, we provide HR through a consultant. The only thing we didn't actually do is to provide the sort of health and safety and that sort of thing. But we found a consultant who does that. But what they didn't want is to have a big head office structure which kills businesses. You know, at the end of the day, what we don't want to do is to put a bloody great ERP system over the top and everybody fills boxes in. I've worked for businesses like that and I just bugger off you know, at the end of the day. And if you read uh, 
the snowball, Warren Buffett's book, and he says that straight away. You know, you leave these businesses run themselves. Yeah, we're there to uh, invest in them. We're an investment vehicle. That's it. And I know you don't look at it by segment, but you know, and obviously you you report with digital imaging and sensors control. Judges reports with um, I think it's vacuum and material sciences. And so, how do you compare the different? Do you see those as different segments then, as part of the, the scientific instrumentation industry? No, I don't. I, I don't really, to tell you the truth. I look at all thirteen businesses. So when I actually uh, get the monthly management accounts, it's thirteen businesses, P and L's, balance sheets, and if you look at um, our board pack, you'll get consolidated. You'll get the CFO's report, operational report, consolidated accounts. Would you look at businesses set- like judges though, like the, the material sciences stuff that they do more sort of stuff? You don't really look at that stuff. No, I look at I look at Davis. Uh, everybody does. Uh, at the end of the day, um, you get an idea of how to write your CEO's report in the annual statement. Uh, <laughs> so you have to you have to look at them. I think everybody does. You look at other ones. Um, but for me, I, just purely for me, for my businesses, we've got 13 businesses. I look at every P&L and balance sheet against budget. Uh, we get 13 operational reports, no more than two pages from all the operational report uh, businesses. I don't look at them all individually. I don't look at them Do you think they're different though? Like his, his 20 businesses, I mean, he's got, you know, various different instrumentations, like heavy businesses that may be quite really expensive, 50, 60, 70K instruments. Are they very different to what you? We're in a different sector, me and David. Different sector. Uh, we compete in what, yeah, we are. I think he, he's more on, uh, uh, what is it, high-end, sophisticated instrumentation. We are now with SVS and what have you. Uh, without businesses, but ours are, you know, look at ours, there's no waterfalls, there's no flags outside buildings, no directors parking, you know, these are uh, uh, industrial units we operate in. If you look at our head office, it's a, a, I think it's the rent is seven or eight grand a year, little serviced office, you know, nothing flash in the businesses, and we don't expect it from any of the businesses. You know, as a good niche manufacturing businesses, you know, look at Centex Centres, it still operates glass blowing with a Bunsen burner and a tube. You know, why? It produces quality sensors, which you cannot get out of automation. You know, that's what that's how we operate our businesses. You know, we now we've got uniform engineering, six thousand foot foot square building, which is, does welders. We've got welders. You know, it's good manufacturing businesses with high quality. Why is SDI growing so much quicker than judges? Is it? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you're acquiring, you've acquired 15, what's 15, 16 businesses in basically half the time that the, the judges have. Is there any reason? I don't know. I've never asked David that. I don't know. He's probably more picky than me. <laughs> I'll ask him next time I see him. I don't know, because he acquired he required a really big one recently, very big. I mean, it's uh, huge. Business. Yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely huge. Uh, before then, yeah, he hasn't acquired that many. Um, I don't know. I, I think for us, I don't know whether his uh, uh, his expectations are higher uh, than us. You know, at the end of the day, is it, that's a big deal for him. You know, we're still at the half a million million pound profit line. You know, this was a six million pound pro- deal. Yeah, you know, that sort of figure would worry me, really, because then you forty five million private equity. Forty five million. Yeah. For that, yeah. yeah, but there's an earn out attached to that. Sixty as well. million. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sixty million. Correct. So it's a it's a big number. You know, we're doing well, just doing what we do. You know, buying businesses at five, six million pound a deal. It's becoming more expensive because now we're actually buying the property as well, which is a bit strange. But uh, in two occasions, which was a Safe Labs and LTE, they just didn't want the property. But you could you do know, a standard lease back with that if you, had, if you really wanted We could do if we needed to, but we don't need to. 
uh, the trades. We're talking to the banks and we should have a mortgage against it because we have a ring fence, 20 million plus 10 million uh, loan with HSBC to acquire businesses. Well, I'm actually saying now, you know, property shouldn't be part of that. We should do something on the side with the property um, and not drain our uh, acquisition money uh, to uh, buy the, uh, uh, the the properties. But that's another day, really. Well, and, the truth. and so back to the, the acquisition cadence. I mean, do you, so obviously, it, well, it seems like David is operating in, call it higher, more expensive, premium Right, like yeah, he's into graphene, that sort of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, highly engineered and com- more complex of his team. Would you say that it's easier to acquire? Not easier, but you can acquire two, three businesses in your in your field in your space. I think we can. You know, ours are, if you look at uh, the history of businesses, you know, Sentex sensors have been around for twenty five years making sensors. Astles has been around for must be the same length of time making dosing equipment for the canning industry. You know, ours are not really sophisticated, high-end, uh, highly sophisticated products, or weren't. We are moving into that field internally through R&D. If you look at uh, uh, Syno- uh, Synoptics with their Autocol brand, you know, that's a highly sophisticated uh, automated colony counter. So we are actually uh, pushing the boundaries now, but that's only internally. So we're not out buying highly sophisticated uh, businesses, but we want to invest in that going forward. And that's what we do. Do you ever see David in these in bidding for businesses at all? We we've bidded against. We're we're both honest with each other that, uh, that we bidded once for Chell. And you obviously bid more. <laughs> yeah. No, we didn't. We weren't the biggest bidder. You know, the biggest bidders were private equity. Uh, so we were told. Wow, they're coming down that low then. So to, to yeah, they did because if you look at it, it's three or average uh, profits. It's in the broker's report. Is I think it was 756,000 on three-year average, and uh, they came down that low. We were told seven private equity. Who knows? Could be corporate finance, PE. Actually, there, there was a 10, 10 businesses bidding for Chell. So we were told. Uh, whether it's true or not, I don't know. But private equity, the biggest problem with private equity for any of these type of businesses is uh, you're not going to get all the cash in a suitcase. You know, at the end of the day, you're going to get half now, half is in loan notes. There'll be debt on the balance sheet, you know, if you want to uh, still stay on with a business and invest in it uh, and uh, still stay on, you're in your sort of 40s, 30, 40, 50s, it may be the right vehicle. But someone in their retirement, coming up to retirement age, doesn't want that. They want to get out completely clean. And that's the good thing about myself and I, David. We can actually operate that, write a check out. Why did Chelsea sell to you? Mm, I think they liked how it worked. You know, at the end of the day, I'm not a politician. I speak my mind. I probably speak my mind too much. I don't think sometimes before I open my mouth. <laughs> um, you see what you get, you know. Well, you just you got you got on with the guy. You got on with the, the, the yeah. Planet. That's it. It's, it's, it's all about. It's a rapport. You know, I was at Chell on Monday. It's a rapport. Uh, yeah, you have to speak to these guys on a day to day basis. Um, we're there. We buy the business. We invest in those businesses, um, and we try to support them. So my job is that to go around and say. Any help? Yeah, you know, there's some days. You know, you go into a sub block. I'm at Lisbon today in Attic, Lisbon. Uh, you, you talk to the staff, but I just work here at the end of the day. And uh, if they need to see me, any any person can chat to me, and they know they can. What? And you mentioned how judges and and, and SDI move, almost move in different segments. Maybe you could merge with judges, or they could they could they could buy SDI, right? Yeah. I've really thought about it. Said the truth. I think the problem is, is M&A, uh, M&A companies, if you look at the breakup value, it's less than the 
market cap for M&A companies because yeah, we're buying at four to six. So if you actually go back down to that level, you know, it, it's, it's difficult to put a value, valuation, I think, on those sort of businesses. I've never really thought about it. I'm sure David hasn't. But uh, it must be quite difficult to say, how do you actually put a value uh, on uh, on SDI or on, on uh, judges on a breakup value? You know, how do you value it? He's on a multiple of, I think, 35, 40, or a multiple of about 16 or something. You know, is, is, the, is the business value... Uh, uh, is that the is that the true value of the business? Yeah, because we're buying at four to six. Yeah, but individually, these businesses are not worth much, right? Because they're risky and they have found the lead. And the, 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 obviously, the advantage is you diversify as a group, right? as you know. Yeah, correct. Uh, and uh, I know I know synergy is a wonderful word, but we are actually creating creating it with the businesses. It's difficult in the early days to do it, but we are actually doing well, just it just by consolidating. Though you diver- you diversify the the business, right? That's a yeah, that's true. Group. But a good example is uh, LTE LTE Scientific. You know, that's uh, the so the customer base is very similar to Monmouth and Safe Labs. Uh, you know, the biggest problem we've actually we've actually got is, uh, is finding engineers, service engineers. So now we're actually looking to say, can we actually sh- share service engineers around the country between the three or four businesses? Uh, because you just can't get the staff. That's the biggest you know, problem we have. I think all businesses is number one is uh, finding staff, and number two is finding components. Well, and so let's just run through an ac- an acquisition typical DD. I mean, take SafeLab, right? You recently acquired. Like, how? What did you like about SafeLab? It was uh, similar to Monmouth. You know, we acquired Monmouth, and then uh, they're only, uh, I think, about seventeen mile away from each other. Uh, and uh, through an intermediary, uh, we got in contact with uh, Roger, nice guy, Roger. We talked to him and his uh, accountants or financial consultants uh, about that business. Uh, he was interested in selling. He still wanted to stay on with the business. Uh, he's got uh, two uh, uh, siblings who are involved in the business, Penny uh, on Oliver, but they weren't at the stage to take on the business, but he, he just wanted to do, release the equity. Uh, and that's what people want to do. Uh, we're, we're a good buyer of those businesses. So then uh, we agreed a price on the business and then it's due diligence. Uh, they, uh, Roger Burchett has got his hands on that business, everything in that business. So for me, it's actually quite straightforward. So I actually moved down to Western Supermare for a week, sat with Roger, went through the due diligence exercise, which is sort of quite a lengthy checklist. It looks overwhelming when you first see it, but as you work your way through it, what, it's what's not on that it? bad. What's on the checklist, roughly? Uh, well, it's an 18-point thing. So you go through sort of financials, trading, employees, IP, Data Protection Act, blah, 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 loads of the stuff. So, uh, and you just go through this, um, build up a file, and then... Uh, at the same time, in parallel, you're running a sale and purchase agreement, service agreements with uh, the directors who are going to stay with it. The sale and purchase agreement is no funnies. So we've done 15 acquisitions um, using either Mills and Rees or Burkitt in Cambridge. Uh, and that hasn't changed over the years. Were there any other bidders for, that, for, for Safe Lab? Any other people in the transaction? No, no, not at all. No, not at all. And uh, so it's a very straightforward. But it seemed more expensive than usual, though, Mike. I think it was like... You paid we bought the property. Right. That's why. Wait, so you paid, what, 7.7 7, 7. 7 million? And, and yeah, like- but that, is, that includes the uh, net assets. We paid 5.6 times uh, PBT. The biggest issue, we, pay, we had to buy the property as well. And also, when you look at it, is we put, say, uh, that we buy the cash. We buy the cash on one hand and then give it back. So you have to take those out. So by the time you take the assets out and the cash, it's lower. Somebody else actually asked me that uh, this week. And I've just got to look at that. LTE is the same. The multiple looks quite high. 
<coughs> but I purely looking at it at PVT level. But the multiples at PVT level haven't changed. They're still between four and six. But as you acquire properties in there, the multiple gets expensive because what you're doing is adding a higher value of net assets on the on the uh, on the business. And also, what we're actually doing is to say, for capital gains tax purposes, we're buying the cash. Right. So effectively, you're you're paying 7.7 .7 million, but there's 1.2 million in property value, like that you can and, and the cash. I thought that was net of cash, wasn't it? 7 .7. Oh, is it? I don't know. Yeah. I can't remember now. But I've got to look at that. So what? Uh, so I need to look at what the net assets are, are on that. But I, I'm purely looking at it as a multiple of uh, uh, of profits, really. But and, and yeah, because I think you mentioned in the in the in the in the uh, announcement there was 900k adjusted EBIT, but 700k. EBIT. So would you would you would you assume you can get rid of two hundred k in cost then, with safe loves? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Right. So then you do. Yeah, seven point two million minus the one point two, which you can net out and receive cash for that, and then over the over the kind of adjusted EBIT that you're that you're assuming. Yeah. I mean, how much can you pay and still earn a good return on these assets? Uh, well, we're getting a return. The, the, the biggest problem we're getting, uh, as I said to you and I've said to, to before, is we're buying the property. So when we do return on capital employee, you're looking at sort of 25%. That's what we get, 20, 25%, probably a bit more uh, on return on capital employee, which is, a, which is a good figure. But that reduces dramatically if you actually add the property in. Because really, all you're doing is looking at a yield and probably getting 6%, 7% yield on a property. So I'm actually saying now the business model is changing somewhat because you have to take out the property on that and this is what we're talking to the banks about at the moment to say look we're buying the businesses we've got a 20 million um uh fund from you with a 10 10 million uh uh accordion on top of that but we're buying the properties and we actually should ring fence that because that shouldn't be part of uh m a really uh and also i'll, I'll just be on the phone to an institute investing he agreed with that yeah at the end of the day if we want to do a deal we want to buy a nice profitable business we don't want to walk away of it because there's a free old property attached to it. The ideal scenario for me would be it's leased or the founders have got the property in a sit and they can get to, uh, and it's an investment vehicle for them. But uh, on these two occasions, they didn't want that. They just wanted to walk away with the property. And banks like property for some unknown reason. I don't know why. Uh, but we need to make sure that that's actually taken out of our acquisition vehicle and also out of our, our figures. We're just talking about it at the moment. So it's early days because these are the most recent acquisitions and uh, it's skewing the figures just like it is with you. You're answering these questions. Well, yeah, I'm and, looking at it uh, now. It, it, I mean, it does seem, even if you, if you net out, I mean, you paid 5.5 million, you're 5.3 in cash, 200K in, in, in stock. And obviously the, the earn out includes, you know, there's no earn out. There's no earn out. Payment in cash shortly after completion equivalent to the net tangible assets of Safe Lab. That yeah, that's not an earn now. That is just paying for the uh, the net assets after we've got the completion balance sheet. Right, right, right. Got it, got it, got it. Okay. Because what we're actually doing is first of all, we're, we're, there's two tranches of payment. There's one for the goodwill, which is a mo uh, multiple of PBT, which we've agreed, and then, then the next one is uh, upon receipt of completion accounts. Okay, so you're looking at, all right, so you're saying that, that, that multiple that you're calculating is you saying you pay 5.5 over 0.7, you know, or 0.9, which, which you're saying is adjusted even, which is not 900k, which is six, rough 6.1 times PBT. Uh, yeah, I need to look at it to tell you the truth. But I, 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 in my calculation, we, uh, we paid 5.6 times. But I need to look at the broker's note again. 
because somebody else has just raised that up, uh, raised that. Yeah, 5.3. Yeah, on a cash basis, you pay 5.3 million in cash. And then uh, you're saying you're assuming adjusted EBIT of 900K, which is not 5.8 times. And then you pay the net asset value. And that's what you're saying about kind of you want to put that in SPV or something so you don't have to use your acquisition or your free cash for it to buy basically PPE. Yeah, that'd be great. And so how do you look at, um, I mean, when, when you're, do you have a hurdle rate of acquisitions? Do you have a cash on cash return that you, you aim in your head that you're looking at? Would you look at a model? Uh, no, not, not at all. All we know is when we look at the business, we have to look at it saying, is there uh, going to be organic growth? Because that's what our, our institutional investors want. Never used to, but they do now. We, we can't because it's if difficult. These businesses, when we buy them, don't even do forecasts. Yeah, they don't do budget. They do a budget, a rough budget, but uh, they're very, very na naive on the financial reporting. So that's the sort of structure we have to put in place as we take these guys on board. Yeah, we're not buying big companies with all this structure. We're just a multiple basis and then on an organic growth you focus on. Correct. And then we have to find out what we need to do to actually attain the organic growth. But also, like I said, we, we have a historical training. We can actually see the trends in the business. Uh, and uh, then we speak to the founders. And also, if the uh, senior management involved, then we say, how can we actually grow this business? Because at the end of the day, we, we like to take that gamble. You know, for, for a founder, they think, well, I'm making half a million or a million pound a year doing four or five days a week. You know, it could it could increase with an investment, but they don't want to go to that next hurdle. They don't want to go to that next fixed top. When does it normally go wrong, Mike, acquisitions? I think I've already mentioned that. Well, with a uh, thermal exchange, whereby you get behind the selling technique uh, and you find out that uh, it's not what you thought it was. I don't know whether I told you about this or was it the previous one. No, yeah, you just mentioned, yeah, yeah it was basically yeah, going to replace shit paper. And, and that's it, yeah. So, so we're uh, just not fully understanding the business. I mean, you can miss a couple of things and maybe just be... You miss a couple of things and say, can we get it right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so, you know, that's... Uh, that's you're always going to get problems uh, with it, with the business uh, uh, as it grows. Uh, you know, a good example is uh, COVID hits us. You know, we didn't know what was going to happen when COVID hits us. Hit us in, in March 2020. Uh, the first thing we actually did, I've been involved with crisis management or turnarounds, uh, crisis management before in businesses. Yeah, what you actually do is draw all the money down off the bank because you don't know how if it's going to survive. Uh, you do weekly uh, cash flow reports, or John did at the, at the stage. We get a, a paragraph operational report from every subsidiary to see how you're doing in the early days. Whether in six weeks to eight weeks, we realised, you know. This business is thriving, as you see from our figures. You know, we we actually did very well with three or four businesses through COVID. So uh, we actually uh, didn't act, we stopped that uh, crisis management and then focused on say how can we actually grow this business through through uh, through the COVID period, and which which we did. Some businesses found it difficult. ATC found it difficult through COVID. Same as Chell. Yeah, but these businesses are well-run businesses. And so what we actually say to these businesses is say. Uh, as a run autonomously, you know, what we don't want to do it is to, uh, say, cut your cost base. You know, the lean, mean businesses, they're going to get out of it. As a group, we were throwing a lot of cash off. And what I'm there to do is to say, is support them. Say, okay, take furlough, do what you ever need to do, but it'll come out of it. The classic case now is with ATC, it's come out of COVID and it's absolutely flying. You know, it's done better than it's ever done before. Yeah. Because we've supported them. And that's what we're there for. A few more questions, Mike. I mean, Debt yeah. versus equity. Can you? How do you think about using more debt potentially in finance and acquisitions? 
this is a, a well, it's a question I get many times. Uh, it's we, we need to look at it as a ball, but for me personally, I like to sleep at night, um, to tell you the truth. So for me, it's one, one and a half times EBITDA. You know, our covenants go up to two and a half. We beat them easily. I don't want an overly geared company. I think uh, when I was the only executive director and we were going to the market or trying to raise debt, which was very easy for us when we, in the early days, uh, I went to my shareholders to say, what level of comfort would you have of me doing debt instead of going to the market? So, uh, and they helped me. People like Casey Potts from Herald, you know, helped me and gave me certain advice. You know, we can go back to the market to raise shares, but it becomes very expensive. So uh, as long as we can actually keep to um, sort of one, one and a half, probably two. But the bloody problem at the moment is we don't know where the world's going to at the moment. We really don't. So the last thing I want to do is to be highly geared because you can guarantee those bloody banks are going to take the money away from you within 24 hours. And then you're scuppered. So you have to go to the city to raise money at a shitty share price. And uh, it's a spiral. So I just want to make sure I sleep at night. And uh, uh, my... Uh, and my shareholders are safe, that we're actually running a clean, nice, clean, well-financed business. You've got a bit of room, though, to, to, to use a bit more. I mean, I think judges use yeah, we a have. bit more, right? Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, yeah we have. Um, yeah, we generate sort of 10, 12 million pounds a year in cash. Uh, we can use that as well. But uh, we have to make sure it's right. Yeah, what we don't want to do is, uh, is to borrow... And we get it wrong. You know, at the end of the day, I think a lot of the money companies, the CEO thinks he can walk on water. He's done 15 deals. I think, fucking hell, I know what I'll do. I'll find this mega company. Yeah, you can't. You find out you cocked it up. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so well, that ain't going to happen. So I stick to uh, stick to this policy. And Mike, how, how many can you reasonably actually acquire in a year, given that you're doing all the work? I mean, you can't. Four. Four, you think max you can do? Well, John and I did four. You have four in one year? Uh, but uh, I, I actually say, because the shareholders that, that say to me, how many do you want to do a year? There isn't a number. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, you know, I think there was a, I don't really look at the share price, I don't look at the blogs, but uh, somebody raised it to me to say that, uh, uh, I don't know, it, it was a shareholder or a blog person said, oh, you haven't done any acquisitions uh, in this calendar year. Well, I hadn't, but then I did two in the financial year. So I knew I had two on the go. Uh, within the financial year, can't you hire? Can't you hire? Uh, I mean, someone who can actually allocate capital. I mean, like Ham was obviously delegated down to the sectors. Can you then? Can you hire someone to to you know help you score if, some? If and when, yeah. Well, I've got a CFO, I've got a financial controller, but uh, mm-hmm. you, you have to look at it. What I'm delegating is increase is putting a head office structure. I've already mentioned it, head office structure in place, and then wait for the deals. You know, I've got fourteen or fifteen deals on the go at the moment. You know, live deals. You know, we're talking discussing probably three deals. You know, I'm going to handle that with a with a uh, with a CFO. If you look at David, you know, at the end of the day in, uh, in judges, which is bigger than us, he's got him. He's got uh, a COO. He's got Brad, and Brad's now got two two uh, little assistants, mainly because of ESG. Which is well, and they only, they only do else. one though. <laughs> they only do one. They only do one transaction a year, which is or one to yeah, two. I know. I'll know when uh, when I need assistance yeah. uh, at the end of the day. But I don't want to actually increase the, the head office cost just for the sake of it and somebody sitting around doing a deal. You're on an ESG assistant, right? I'm leaving that to the CFO. I'm not going to get involved in that. I've walked away from it. I spoke to David on it. That was a nightmare for Brad. He, he said to me, absolute fucking nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Um, last couple of questions. That's yeah. questions, right? Um, 
I, I want to talk about, just let me make sure, in terms of the acquisitions. Um, so you can do three to four with your CFO reasonably. I understand this. I mean, is the new CFO going to be on the road as much? Or are you going to, like, oh, John wasn't doing that, I believe. So. John, no, yeah, I think Amy is. He said to me, he's going to do, sort of, yeah, I think he's going to do one a week or something like that, he said. But uh, he's, got to, he's got to do some site visits. So I think he'll be out more than uh, more than John. But uh, all just respect to John, he was absolutely magic on the detail, on the numbers. Yeah, it, it really but was. is it just yeah. hard to it, find someone, Mike, in terms of like someone who's like like you is willing to get up and drive, a, you know, drive a truck around? I don't think there, I, I don't think there is anybody. There's not many people I, I around. Really don't. Yeah. There is nobody. Yeah, we looked at CFOs, and it was very difficult. Uh, at the end of the day, the NEDs went through the recruitment process, and I saw the shortlist, but the shortlist was two. You know, there's nobody around uh, to do that. You know, we're paying good money uh, for for a CFO, but there's none. But then again, yeah. Does somebody want to go out on the road for five days a week, four or five days a week? Yeah, I'm in Lisbon today, so I'm here till Friday evening. So I get home late Friday night. Do they want to do that? Do they? Well, no, not really. I want a life. But is that is that going to burn you out at some point? Or do you, does that piss you not off? Really? In a way? I've been doing it for a year. No, not at all. No, I try to do Fridays at home, so I can either ride a horse or I play tennis. So uh, and also get home. Uh, that's my job. I enjoy doing it. You know, it's not going to change, uh, really. And I think people want to see me. I like. I love it. I'm in Lisbon sort of now for for three days. Uh, next week, I think next week I haven't got so many visits. But then I'm back out on the road. October, I'm really busy on the road. But also, we're trying to pull together all the subsidiaries on the 20th and the 21st of October for strategy day. So we're back to doing strategy meetings again. Now COVID's over, so we've got 13 businesses. I think there's about 30 odd people. We're trying to organise. To say where do we go, and it's new for these guys. It's new for us. With a little businesses to say, we don't really want to know about the P and L and balance sheet or anything like that. But what do you envisage for this business in three to five years, so we can make sure we can allocate cash for these businesses? I don't think people are looking forward to it. Last last couple on just organic growth, and I know it's a, you mentioned it a few times. What do you think is the biggest challenge? Target organic growth for us is a uh, high single digit. What's the challenge in hitting that? It's on a business by business basis, really. You know, at the end of the day, it's not up to me. It's up to the businesses uh, that they can do it. We had, we'd had a pretty easy ride with the Chinese uh, uh, camera business. Uh, you know, COVID was fantastic for MPB and it was for, for Monmouth. But now we're getting to some sort of a, a normality in the world. It's not going to last. You know, Fungland, uh, the uh, the camera business is going to end. Uh, when is it? End of this year, and then it's get back to some normality. Um, and that's why we need this strategy today back on uh, again to say where's where are the businesses going to go. We can actually see great. Right? Like ATC is doing really well. Synopsis is doing really well. There's a lot of businesses doing really well. Uh, well, it's amazing. All of and judges as well, and, and you guys and your organic growth is consistently is mid 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 to high single digit. You know, which they're just. The niche, 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 niche market, strong businesses, you know, big market share. Yeah, because they're niche. Uh, yeah. I think that's the main thing. Yeah, as you get bigger, if it's just uh, we turn over 50, 60 million pounds, if it's just one business making widgets, it's difficult to achieve that. I've got 13 bit small businesses. So by the time you get one, you know, we've got two exhibitions for our, our businesses, main exhibitions. One is Analytica, which is in Munich, and one is in the Kima, which I think is in Berlin. 
you know, these businesses, but small businesses, if you attract one or two OEM customers, you know, who are generating a half a million or a million pound a year, that is good organic growth, these little businesses. You know, you, you can't do that with one business. You know, you, you can't get that, you know, if it's a 50 million pound business, a five million pound order out, out of it. But if you've got 13 businesses doing half a million, you know, an increase of half a million order, you know, it soon adds up. You know, then you get to your sort of six million or your 10% organic growth. Uh, at what point do you want need to run the Halma model and have sectors and managers? Oh, no, and... that's going to that's going to fall out. Really, uh, that'll fall out. You know, you know, when I decide that uh, you know I can't get around all the businesses in four to six weeks, or we've got six or seven deals on the go. You know, or but, let's could you imagine lower. doing that let's for say... you though, Mike? Could you imagine being like Andrew Williams, for example, at Halma? Like, I mean, obviously, it's a very different it's a very different job, isn't it, than what you're doing now? Uh, well, it is. Yeah, if I can't do it, then I have to hold my hands up and say, okay, get a CEO from an, in an ivory tower. Um, you know, we have to be, be honest, because at the end of the day, I have to report to the shareholders and create value. If I can't do that, then I have to hand it over to somebody else. And I, I'm honest with everybody about it and say, you know, if the day is done to say, I've done my job, then fine, do something else. But I think we've got a few years left on that. Yeah, the truth. Uh, Look at David. Uh, David's still around, my friend David. He's around in his 70s, still doing it. Well, and I, I wonder... And the guy from Constellation, he's still doing it? I mean, he's, he's, he's acquired 700 businesses, Constellation. It's insane. That's 100 a year now. Oh, is it 100 a year? Yeah, but look, if you look at these businesses, they're not making any more than half a million pound profit. Yeah, no, very... Yeah, they're, well, yeah, they're, they're, and he's just buying software. So, you know, it's a similar model, but for us, it's more difficult because we have got bricks and mortar and we're making a tangible asset. You know, could could you not, not buy software? Maybe. Maybe. Uh, so we're looking at it. We are, we have software in all our business, uh, in all our products, your, your firmware, and we write software. I don't know. It hasn't come on the radar at the moment. I'm sure it will do, but nothing like Constellation. That's a dip. You, you need to move like, like you move from imaging to, to control and no, to sensors. No, the, the only way you can actually do it is if it's, if it's enhancing to the equipment. You know, at the end of the day, we're a manufacturing business making equipment, but if you can actually provide a, a smart piece of software, uh, attach that bit, uh, attach that product maybe that's all I can think of off the top of my head at the moment but to, to get into software you know that's a different field for us altogether that's where my wife is a different field altogether to get a head round yeah I like manufacturing businesses yeah and it always worries me software yeah you do due diligence behind software you can never find out what's what's underneath it what bugs are there you know with a manufacturing business I can, I can touch it feel it but you don't with a piece of software what, just what keeps me. you up at night, Mike, if anything? Me? Uh, I, well, I'll be honest with you, a lot of people, I'll say not a lot, but I think recently it is staffing. Because we're seeing so many, uh, trying to get so many staff, software engineers, hardware engineers, uh, service engineers, difficult. You know, we're getting people leaving. Uh, I think that's the biggest problem. Components we can get round. You know, we can re-engineer. We can, our customers are still... Uh, uh, understand that how the world is or if you have delays in products they're, that, they're actually okay with it but it's mainly staffing trying to get staff in, in this environment at the moment you know uh, I was at Kachel the other day we wanted an engineer it didn't even turn up for the interview and it happens all the time in businesses at all levels they just don't turn up you think well, bloody hell what's going on in this world <laughs> so my last question I mean looking at what motivates you as we discussed earlier you're to be a rare breed of, of, of CEO. 
um, you know, not necessarily motivated by owning owning more stock or, or don't feel like you have to be deeply aligned with shareholders in that sense to, to behave in a certain way. Um, but could you see yourself doing this for another 20, 30 years? I'll be dead by then. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> I, I don't look at it, to tell you the truth. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, uh, you say, well, what's the five-year plan? It's difficult forecasting a year. You know, strategy days, we can actually look at top line, look at sales roughly. But it's so difficult, especially in this climate we're in at the moment with a, a war, recession. Yeah, you can't, can't, you can't components. Predict. It's so bloody difficult. So as long as you enjoy it every day, right? As long as you enjoy day by day. Yeah. A day, day by day. <coughs> That's what we're doing. Does your, wife enjoy, <laughs> does your wife enjoy not having you around? Is that, is that, is it, is it unless you're going to put oh, the foot down and, and, and all no, you back home? She, she's running, she's running a very high, successful business in IT and telecommunications. Uh, we speak. We were on holiday together last week. Ski, skiing season starts shortly, which is good. So we're both skiers. So it's just spending quality time together. You know, at the end of the day, you have to go to work. Yeah, we're, but we're both not in nine to five jobs. Yeah, um, and uh, you have to accept it. That's the day, day we're in, day and age we live in. You know, you don't go to work at nine, come over at five, and uh, that's life. 